I recently came across an article from FinancialTimes.com. The article reads, Jamaican Stock Exchange Rallies Become World's Best Performing. As I kept reading through the article, I found a spot in the article that reads, Despite a recent dip, Jamaica's $1.5 trillion stock exchange is the best performing of 94 bourses tracked by Bloomberg over the past 12 months, gaining 35%. Total gains over the past five years come to more than 600%. Again, the world's best performance. And so, since we understand that this is the world's best performing market, I think it's time for us to sit down with someone who's actually investing in the market, understands what's going on in Jamaica, and can give us an insight to what is going on from a world perspective. We are here for another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. I'm excited about this conversation uh, because now we get to look at uh, investing internationally and thinking outside of just our neighborhoods. And so on today's episode, we have David Mullings of Umahu Capital. I'm really excited about this conversation. David, are you there? I am here. Thank you for having me, DJ. Welcome to Black Equity Podcast. I'm excited that you're on. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Well, so uh, born and raised in Jamaica, I grew up between Kingston, Jamaica and Miami, Florida. I went to college at University of Miami, did my MBA there as well. Uh, ended up as a tech entrepreneur, actually. Started a business with my brother back in the end of 2001. And that okay. grew to become the, had the largest collection of Caribbean music videos, uh, online platform. Okay. And what we did, we one of our cousins invested in, in that. He had been a tech entrepreneur before. But well, he launched a private equity firm and he, you know, he let us know, as, as most people would, that the odds of succeeding with a startup are, are pretty low. We know most businesses fail in the first five years. Right. And he, he asked us to make sure that we use it as a, as a lesson to understand what it takes to scale a business, raise money, uh, where your pitfalls were. But look to private equity instead and investing. And so he, he forced us to study Warren Buffett. We had to read certain books. We would read Berkshire annual reports and discuss them mm-hmm. and, and ended up working with him in his private equity firm. Uh, then I took some time to work in Jamaica as well in, in financial services, helping to design mortgages, savings products. Came back to the U.S. and worked with a hedge fund. And this was a black-owned hedge fund out of Chicago. Uh, it was a long bias fund. So he's focusing on, on holding for the longer term, mm-hmm. Warren Buffett type stuff. And it was really interesting working with him, uh, but seeing a boom on the Jamaica side of things. Uh, Jamaica stock market had started to take off, and I, will, I wanted this, this hedge fund guy to try and get some capital from uh, Jamaica. Uh, he wasn't that interested. And he said, hey, you, know, you, should, you should really consider doing that yourself. You have a strong network within the Caribbean community. Uh, these people already know you in Jamaica as well. I know the companies, know some of the CEOs and directors maybe I should launch a vehicle that would, would, would actually allow people to participate. And so that's where Bloomerhole Capital came up. You look at where your skills are, you look at where your network is, and I think you should then also look at where you're passionate. And so this was a problem I wanted to solve. You know, Bloomberg 
had pointed out that Jamaica had the best performing stock exchange last year, 2018, and also for the last five years. But no exchange-traded fund had any exposure to Jamaican stocks, even though they had exposure to Vietnam, Kazakhstan, and Sri Lanka, the most frontier of emerging markets. And a few years ago, I had been asked, six years ago, the Jamaica Stock Exchange had asked me to also present at their annual conference that January about how to get overseas Jamaicans to invest back into Jamaica. And I'd explained to them what I think would work. It wasn't for me to launch, though. And I ended up having one of the investment bankers in Jamaica ask me why I never launched it. And I said, I wasn't planning to launch it. I was telling you guys what you needed to set up. Right. And a few people egged me on and said, you, you should do it. You know, we, we'd be willing to support you, but you should launch it. And that's how Bloomaho Capital came about. How does that feel when you're going on your journey and everybody keeps pointing at you saying, no, you're the one, you're the one, you're the one. How does that feel? So it's weird, to be honest. There's no other word I can use because I was focused on taking Caribbean capital to invest in private equity here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I felt that they didn't have access to these deals. I knew this network. They trusted me. That's the no-brainer. And everybody else was saying, hey, we trust you up here. You should bring some of that money down into the Caribbean instead. And it, eventually, you know, it's one of those dull moments. It's like, man, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> was it that you were too busy looking out and not in? No, I, I think that's exactly what it is. You know, yeah. I, I was very focused on I live in the U.S., so I should invest here. Like if you think about real estate, you want to invest near to where you are, right? I don't live in Florida and, and buy property in New York to start my portfolio. Right. We can expand, but you really want to invest near to home. So I was focused on the close to home stuff yeah. versus, hey, let me do the Warren Buffett offshore into Jamaica and the wider Caribbean stuff. But then like, clearly nobody wanted to solve that problem. I thought somebody else would have solved it, preferably a local entity in Jamaica. And, and there were also some issues in terms of how would you do it, right? I, I would have to get retail investors, which means you could only have a mutual fund, an exchange-traded fund, or take the company itself public. Those all cost a lot of money. Did I want to take that on? And then I felt, you know, I'm a big Warren Buffett guy, and Warren Buffett says you don't look for seven-foot bars to jump over. You look for one-foot bars to step over. And I felt that was a seven-foot bar at the time as well. So I just dismissed it. Uh, things have changed now, so it's no longer a seven-foot bar because the SEC changed some rules. Mm-hmm. For ETFs, thankfully. So what I'm something that that is hitting my spirit as I'm listening to you is this all started with understanding that there was a problem to solve, and you didn't necessarily want to be that person that solved that problem. But eventually, things started just working in your favor, where it was almost a no-brainer. Where I I gotta be the person that tackles this. Yeah, I think most of us, unfortunately, we, we get frustrated at work and then we decide we want to be our own boss and then you become an entrepreneur. And, and that's the wrong reason because that drive is going to disappear. You need to have a problem you want to solve. You need to be passionate about solving that problem and growing that business. That's the only way to get through the dips and the challenges and the rejection that you're going to face. And then most importantly, there needs to be a large enough market that's willing to pay for the solution that you have. Uh, so uh, there's certainly a massive market, right? Jamaicans uh, send back 2.2 billion US dollars a year in, in remittances. Uh, they want to invest down there. And that's just Jamaicans. You then have a wider group, whether it's, it's the black diaspora, we have, we have black people, people of color in the US that, that want to get into investing and they don't have $100,000 or a million dollars. So they need uh, retail options to get in. And then we, we, we're in a very low interest rate environment, right? So the, people are looking for yield, which means they have to be looking at emerging markets. So the timing also happened to be perfect. Jamaica had just gone through an IMF relationship. They did two debt exchanges and, and we've paid down the debt from 147% debt to GDP ratio down to 96%, and in the next three years, we're going to hit 60%. So we did the opposite of Greece. So I couldn't do this five years ago because the economy yeah. didn't have the, the growth that is seen now. So timing matters, being passionate about solving the problem, and a large enough market that's willing to pay for the solution. And we think there's a large enough market that will be willing to pay for that access. 
you mentioned that uh, in Jamaica, uh, the 2018 article is saying, hey, this is one of the best performing or actually the best performing uh, stock exchange. What is going on down in Jamaica that we don't know about for those who aren't investing down there yet? Yeah, well, and, and so, so that's a, a good, very good question. And, and Jamaica is a small country that tends to be off the radar unless you're talking about tourism, right? We're flying down to Jamaica. That's what most people are. They're looking at the music that's coming out of Jamaica, right. dancehall and reggae music. So the, the thing that's overlooked, though, is that people are making a ton of money down there. And if you look at whether it's Vietnam or India or China, when economies start to expand, you, you grow the middle class. That means these people have more money. They have more disposable income. So there are very specific things they're going to spend money on, right? First thing, they need a bank account. They need to do investments. They need loans for, to buy cars. They need the mortgages. They actually they want business loans to start businesses. So what used to happen is that the government used to crowd out the markets, right? Jamaica's ratings were horrible. Like they couldn't go out to the world and borrow money. It was that bad. And so when you had money to lend in Jamaica, the government would come in and offer a bond and pay you 14%, 20%. I mean, just crazy numbers. Well, no, they did two debt exchanges and they brought those numbers down to single digits. So you can't get 10% and 15% anymore. And that means the government isn't crowding out the private market. If I want to get a decent return, I need to invest in the stock market. I need to buy a piece of a company pretty much because those companies are scaling. And they don't just do business in Jamaica. Right? We have companies headquartered in Jamaica that are doing business in 40 countries. Uh, they just happen to be based in Jamaica. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And so some of them doing business right here in the U.S. There is a publicly traded Jamaican company that is one of the largest producers of eggs here in the United States, right behind Tyson Foods. We Americans don't know that. Some Jamaicans don't even know that. So that's what's happening. The government is no longer taking all the money out of the, the private capital markets and people need yield, so they're sticking it into companies because that's where you make money. And that's just causing it to scale. And because the government now has more money to reinvest in, for example, whether it's security or education or healthcare or infrastructure, that means that we, we're increasing the capital that's available in the, comp in the country. And that's, that's a good thing. We're trying to increase productivity. But if the government is putting some money to work and has less debt overhang, right? I mean, we know it. You have a ton of credit card debt. If you can pay down some of that, it frees up your money to go and invest somewhere else and, and do things with it. So that's, that's helping the economy to grow. So we've had 18 months straight of 18 quarters straight of growth. Like Jamaica, I've never seen that before. It's the longest streak of positive economic growth. And the growth rate that we have right now is, is roughly 10 times what we've ever had in the last 30 years. It's, it's actually scary. And it's, these are still small numbers. This is under 2%, 1.7, you know, 1.8%. So still we should be going up. Still a lot of room to grow. It's not growing at 7% and 5% like China. We but is is what you know Michael Leach in the, the Jamaican Canadian billionaire is, is a mentor of mine and good friend. And Mike keeps talking about going from inefficiency to efficiency. Uh, you want to invest in markets that are more efficient, inefficient. And then when you when as a transition to efficiency, then you're going to actually benefit from that that change. But the government has to be willing to make some changes. And we know, right? We we have a ton of red tape sometimes in the US. Mm -hmm. So Jamaica, a developing country, is even worse. But they're, they're getting rid of some of that red tape. I like it. I like it a lot. You mentioned earlier about uh, investing in emerging markets. What does emerging markets mean for those who uh, have been looking at you know, prominent markets? What does emerging markets mean uh, specifically? Now, you know, I've been talking about sip and share wine for quite some time. Now you have a chance to enter for a free giveaway. The Conjurer bottle, which is the old vine Zinnevel, is now available uh, for a free giveaway. Here's how you enter. You follow Sip and Share Wines over on Instagram. That's Sip and Share Wines. You like the post that is tagged giveaway and you tag at least five friends. Comment below that post and share with us your favorite red wine. Now for a bonus entry, Tag two more friends with an additional comment. This giveaway closes October 31st at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. Winner will be announced on November 1st in the Sip and Share Wine story, 
with a direct message. By entering, participants confirm they are of the age of 21 or older, open to U.S. residents only. Now, back to the show. Hey, DJ. (laughs) Can you hear me? Yeah, man, I'm hearing you fine. Okay, perfect. Um, So where we were before is you were explaining to us what emerging markets is and why it's an important area to look at when you're uh, looking to invest and get the yield you're looking for. Right. So, so emerging markets is used to describe developing countries, right? So, so not first world countries. We, I don't like the term third world, but that's what we mean. So we're talking about Latin America, the Caribbean, Africa, uh, Southeast Asia, mostly not Europe, not the UK, Canada, the US, Singapore, even. So that's the first thing. That's what we mean by emerging markets. Yield tends to be better in those markets because there's so much more room to grow. You look at India, you look at China, you look at some of these Latin American countries. There was a time when we kept talking about the BRICS, right? Brazil, Russia, India, China. And the idea is that if you're adding to your middle class, you're growing the middle class, you're increasing. They still have to buy jeans and chicken and shoes and financial services. Those end up growing really nicely. Uh, that is why you want to go there. And then we obviously we had a financial crisis in 2008 that obviously was a world crisis, but developed countries got hit. Developing countries because of the nature of it, you know, mortgage-backed securities and so on. So what has happened is that we've obviously been doing quantitative, quantitative easing. We, we have negative bond rates in some cases in Europe. It's, it's insane. Record low rates. So I can't just take the money in the bank. I can't just buy U.S. bonds and just count on having a return above, say, 7%. It's not automatic. In the emerging markets, though, they are getting yields in, in those areas and higher because the people are still making money and jobs are... We have to be honest, some jobs can move. We have jobs that have moved offshore, business process outsourcing, BPO, which is a fancy way of saying call centers and moving up the value chain. That's not staying in the U.S. That's moving to Vietnam, the Philippines. Jamaica is a big one. Colombia is there as well. So jobs are moving over there. They pay less than in the U.S., but they pay more than people are earning over there in that region. So they have more money. And so that's what causes them to have more, more growth, which then they turn around and buy U.S. products, though. So, so there's a, you know, they're buying iPhones and Google Android phones and Levi's jeans and so on. And in order for an investor to really uh, prosper, they have to sometimes be able to take that chance. The thing about emerge, emerging markets is you have to understand that you're really looking at the potential. You're looking at the factors uh, that could potentially get this emerging market to uh, prominence one day. And a lot of people stay away from these emerging markets because, you know, they're not sure, well, how will my money perform? Uh, but that is the chance you have to take. Am I right? Or right. How do you well, so, so I wouldn't put it exactly that okay. way. You, sh- you should have it in your portfolio as a portion, right? We're supposed to design a portfolio. If you look at how anybody is it's smart, you know, wealthy people are investing in, Emerging markets make up a part of their portfolio. You, you don't put half of your money in there. You put a small piece, but you want exposure to foreign equities, as they would say. And, and the, the reason isn't because you don't know how it's going to perform. We don't know how the stock market in the U.S. is going to perform over the next year or five years. We, we know over a 30-year period it's going to go up. Over a 50-year period, it, it eventually goes up. But you can't predict automatically that you're yeah, going to buy this stock today and, and next month is up or next year is up. Just, that doesn't happen. But you, you do research. So we've seen every, every country was an emerging market at some point. Right? The, the U.S. took off. The 20th century was the U.S.'s century, for example. We've seen India take off, China take off, Brazil. There's a formula that every single country has followed to create wealth. So as long as that country or that region you're investing in is following the same formula. You should be fairly confident about what happens next, but you still should only invest in what you understand. And so that's why we are tending to focus on Jamaicans. They are more likely to take the risk of investing in Jamaica. There's obviously some currency risk that you have to concern yourself about 
thankfully our dollar has been extremely stable for the last three years within us a band so it's not just running off the charts and that's important you have to look at the political system uh, but most importantly what what michael leachin said in a video that we did together uh, he was saying that his first priority is uh, to comfortable standing in front of a judge in a court in that country right if i buy into a company and we have to stand in front of the judge do i trust this justice system to be fair and i think that is something that tends to be overlooked when people want to invest outside of their home country uh, the u.s obviously has a fairly fair system for on the company side right. um, and you know you need to make sure that exists elsewhere so jamaica is under the, the british legal system just like canada so we, we think there is a reasonable expectation we don't have a corruption problem within the justice system as well uh, most of the caribbean is like that it was mainly british that's a different that's a different perspective if you're standing in front of the judge Am I am I in the middle of a fair system, at least business wise? That's a different way yeah. to look at it. I mean, it's. I I was taught. You know, I got to a lot of family office conferences, and I never forgot. About five years ago, I was at one. Can't remember who said it, but they said to me, you know, return off capital is more important than return on capital. Mm, break that down. So uh, there, yeah, yeah, return off capital is more important than return on capital. You want at least be able to get a principal back. Mm. Mm, I like that. Cause, I mean, that, that's, <laughs> that's bare minimum. Bare minimum. I love it. I love it. So if someone is looking to uh, possibly looking into an emerging market and working with you, how does that process work? What is, I guess, the uh, procedures of working with your company and uh, utilizing your services. Wait, so, so, so I wouldn't say we have services. What we're okay. doing is that yeah, we are intending to launch an exchange-traded fund. So okay. uh, right now, if you want to get emerging market exposure, you'd go to your financial advisor who is licensed, explain your plan, and then they would be able to look at a suite of ETFs, right? exchange-traded funds that could give you that kind of exposure. And there's a number of them that give you access to India or China, parts of Latin America, uh, there's no fund that allows you to benefit from Caribbean equities or especially Jamaican stocks. So you're missing out on the best performing stock exchange for the last five years. Mm -hmm. So our intention is to launch the first ETF that would give you access to uh -huh. uh, the Jamaican stock market. And then you'd, you'd have to go through your financial advisor or you're going to be able to go through, you know, we have all these new fintech, you know, Robin Hood and these guys, but that's what you would do. You'd be able to buy a on an exchange, on a major exchange with that minimum share purchase. And that's it. You now have exposure to that. is quarterly reporting, semi-annual reporting, audited, is liquid. You can trust that the capital is invested. You can see what the portfolio is. And we, we built a website and we're rolling out some videos that explain our investment strategy of here are the companies we've chosen, here are the industries, here's why. And then we also want to layer some financial literacy on top of that to explain to people why investing matters. I think we as people of color, especially, don't have those lessons passed down through our families because we haven't been generating wealth and we don't generally have generational wealth to pass on. I get to sit in the room with billionaires because of this family office association I'm a member of. Mm -hmm. And I get to go to these wealth conferences. I want to share that information that I get access to as one of the few brown people in that room. And let me share it with with my fellow you know, people to help them to at least think. We're not saying that this is the only way, but here's one way that somebody else is creating wealth. We should at least learn about it and consider if it's a good fit for us or not. Understand how they're thinking about it. So, so we want to kill two birds at once. So we want to give easy access to Jamaican equities and then we can expand. And then the second one is we want to help educate as well. And that's, that's truly groundbreaking. So you are in the middle of putting together this fund. What is that process like for the, for the information you're allowed to share? What is that process like and how does it feel being a trailblazer in that particular oh, man? So, so always remember this, the, the first person out the gate 
is the most likely person to get shot. Yeah, all <laughs> Just, the arrows. You it's like, it's, arrows. yeah, yeah, you get all the arrows. It's like landing on the beach on Normandy in World War II <laughs> and you run off first. Like, oh, crap, dodge all the bullets, man. Right. Dodge all the arrows. So, so we are learning all the regulatory arrows that we have to dodge, uh, the compliance back end. Uh, thankfully, we're working with a really good company that handles uh, they're going to be the ones actually setting up the ETF us. Uh, they handle the compliance side of things and they'll be doing the reporting. So they've been really good. You know? So I, I appreciate what they are doing and, and we'll get to talk about them you know, publicly. If it, mm-hmm. That is there. And then, you know, the fun part is actually doing the portfolio analysis, like meeting with some of the CEOs of these companies or some of the directors to so just give them an idea of what we think and why we want to buy into the companies and make sure they feel comfortable with us buying in. Right? We've never had this amount of overseas money coming down to buy pieces of companies. And, and they want to make sure we're friendly investors, not activist investors, not trying to do a takeover. Uh, this is our first. So we have to do that. But then we also have to raise some money. You know, I mean, we've done the friends and family round. We've, we've poured in all the capital we have. And now we have to go and raise some additional money to take it to the next level. I mean, you, you know how that world works. Anybody that's done a startup knows that at some point you're at an inflection point and you just need some growth capital to, to run like the wind. And that's, that's hard. You, you get a lot of rejection. I've spent a lot of time reading Steve Schwartzman's book, King of Capital, about mm-hmm. how he launched Blackstone. Yeah. I mean, this guy got like 400 no's. <laughs> so yeah. so I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm only at like 50 no's. <laughs> I got a few yeses. So I still got 350 no's to go. Now, what what type of uh, investors would you be interested in assisting with uh, the the raising of the funds? Is there uh, are you looking for accredited investors? Are you looking for retail investors? What is that process yeah. like for? So so it's, so so we have to I mean we have to be super careful when we talk about raising money, but okay. in in the sense of a Series A. You have very specific rules when you do a Reg D uh, raise. Uh, so what happens is that we, we can take in no more than 33 non-accredited investors. Okay. And everybody else has to be accredited. And your PPM, your, your, your private placement memorandum has to be airtight if you're taking any money from non-accredited investors. It has to be a lot bigger. It costs more money to do it. So we're starting with just accredited, simpler. Uh, they're, you know, they're sophisticated investors that can afford to take the risk. And that covers us on the working capital side. We think we're fairly safe there. Once we, we have all the stuff paid, you know, ETF is going to be launched. We're getting the ball rolling. The ETF will be able to, to raise money from retail investors. Gotcha. We can market it to the public. We can market it through your financial advisor. We need to partner with an RIA. You need to make sure you have certain you know, Series 7 and, and there's all these FINRA regulations. They, as you know, the U.S. is extremely careful about people taking money from the general public and we, we the, the jobs that doesn't help us because the jobs act helps regular companies but business development companies and financial firms investment firms can't use a jobs act to raise money so so we can't use uh, a, a reg a plus or a tier two these things to, to raise money from the public uh, we told the line very very carefully understood you know when you're talking about uh, actually managing uh, the fund and working with people in Jamaica, a, a big part of what you do is all about relationships. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? Oh, yes. Yes. I, I think we, we all tend to misunderstand or, or underestimate how important relationships are. And that is actually what keeps you afloat. If, if you run into a problem, you know, the relationship, somebody can come and help you or somebody can guide you. Or somebody can know that you you were doing the right thing. It just you know it was bad timing or something went wrong, and they give you the benefit of the doubt. So, you know, in in my case, I've spent a lot of time. I worked in Jamaica. I've gone back a number of times. I sat on an advisory board for three years. I'd advise the Minister of Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade and the Prime Minister. So I've built some really strong relationships where people can trust what we're working on. They don't all understand exactly what we're doing. But we've built up a level of trust and some track record. But most importantly, here's the trust. Here's what we're working on. Here's how we want to do it. And here's a problem we think that we can solve that brings some new capital down to, to this country. And here's how it can contribute to, to growth and GDP growth. It's not just 
Nobody, you know, they want to know your why, right? Simon Sinek says, find your why. People buy why you do it. So I can't be, it can't be just that you want to get rich. That's, that's not the point. I, I want to create wealth for a number of other people. And, and that has allowed me to find like-minded people and build strong relationships with them, which then open doors uh, for me. They're willing to put their, their reputation on the line to open the door. Part of the relationship building, I noticed it was a few months ago, it was either on Twitter or YouTube where you had sat down, and maybe you do this all the time, you had sat down with someone that um, uh, was, was a billionaire, and you were having right. a, a conversation. Uh, if you remember which one that is, or maybe you had multiple conversations that you, <laughs> you aired, can you tell us a little bit about how that happens, where you're able to sit down with billionaires and yeah. have conversations, and what are you learning as you're doing that? Right. So, so it's Michael Leachin. He's, he's one of only 15 black billionaires in the world. He's the only Jamaican billionaire on the Forbes list. Mike is, is worth north of $2.2 billion. And so that was a video we did. I've known Mike now for seven years, and he's been mentoring me for you know, somewhere in the region of three. And I actually met him in, in Jamaica. I was at an event. He owns the largest and most profitable bank in the Caribbean. And they, they had a private client event to talk about his India fund. He had done an India investment fund, a mutual fund out of Canada, and was doing a, a roadshow in Jamaica that my dad was invited to as a, as a client of the, of the private banking side of things. That's where dad had his investments. Mm-hmm. And I, I, he asked me to come. He's like, man, you, you know investments, so you need to come with me to the event. Nice. So I went to the, I went to the event, and I, I sat down in the second row. I told dad we don't sit in the back. He's a professor, and I said, you know, you know what you think of the, the students who sit in the back of the class <laughs> when they come in. So we're sitting right up here, front row is reserved, we're in the second row. And as, as Mike, you know, talked about the India Fund and the way they were looking at companies, there was, you know, opportunities to, to make some comments or ask a question. And I, I brought up Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, it was similar. I knew Mike loved Warren Buffett, and he even had a company called Berkshire in, in Canada that he sold. So I found something in common first and asked those questions. And he said, man, you know what you're talking about. That's great. He ended up doing this whole sequence about five, you know, five rules of wealth creation. And he called on my dad to think of a wealthy person on the Forbes list. And then he went through the list of five things. And, and that is like, yeah, that's right. That's true. That's, that's great. And afterwards I walked, I was the first person up there to ask a question. I was the first person at the desk to shape Mike's Introduce him to dad, and then dad asked him for, for some wealth creation tips as somebody retiring soon. And Mike spent 30 minutes just talking to dad one on one. And it was amazing. So, so got him, to, you know, he gave me the card for his personal assistant. We stayed in touch, and then I, I had gotten close separately to a guy by the name of Aubin Hill. Senator Aubin Hill is now the, he was a CEO of Mike's bank. He ran mm-hmm. the bank of Oman, went to University of Miami, just like me, uh, older though. And Aubin left the bank, and he's Economic Growth Council of Jamaica, and Mike is a chairman. They're trying to get Jamaica to grow 5% a year within you know, five years, roughly. But we're trying to get GDP up to 5%, five in four, 5% in four years. Mm-hmm. And so I knew Aubin separately. And to set up that call, you know, closed mouths don't get fed, is what I was told. And so back in June, I decided to just call Aubin. I had his phone number. We've been talking for a while. And I just picked up the phone and called him that morning, you know, 10 a.m., driving down to Palm Beach. I was like, Aubin, we. I'm under pressure. I need some advice. I think we have something good, but I just need some clear advice and I need to talk to Mike. And Aubin is like, all right, well, I'm heading into a meeting with him right now. I will call him back and set it up. And he set up a meeting for me. We went down. I flew down two weeks later, the Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. And Mike is like, hey, how is your dad, David? I was like, wow, this, you know, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And we, we spent an hour just, you know, walking through, this is the plan. This is the investment strategy. These are the companies. This is the legal structure we're looking at. And Mike was just helping me to, to plan that out. And then he said, what else could he do to help? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he says, I want Blue Moho Capital to become the vehicle in the United States wow. to allow people to invest back into Jamaica and the wider Caribbean. What do you need from me? Yeah. And so, so I said, hey, you know, maybe a little a picture with you and he's like okay done what else do you need I was like um okay well like like can we do like you know uh, a quote in a press release it's like done what else do you need from me uh, that's when i sat up i was like really mike he's i know like, i really want people to say that we need more david mullings and david followed mike's plan 
what else do you need from me? And I was like, wow, this guy is really going all in. He trusts me. He thinks I'm going to be a good representative of, of his values and his reputation. Let me go all in. I was like, let's, let's do a video. I want to shoot a video. We can post it online. Let's talk about your experience. Caribbean, investing in India, creating wealth. Talk about Jamaica's economic turnaround. And he's like, good. And he said, all right, Thursday, come back here at 2 p.m. Let's bring a camera crew and let's shoot for 45 minutes. What does he need from me? And I was like, oh, Jesus. This is, this is I mean, the mic kept going. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and he did ask me, he's like, did you tell your dad you were having this meeting today? I said, yes. He said, oh, I told dad that this is going to be the most important meeting in my 38 years on this planet. And, and Mike you know, rocks back in the chair. It's like, oh, man, I hope I, I, hope I live up to that. You, know, that. you set the bar so high. And so when the meeting was done, you know, Mike was very clear. He said, did I meet your expectation? And I said, yes, actually, you, you definitely exceeded my expectation. And he asked me to, to recount how he met my expectations. And I said, here's what I came to get, and here's what I got from you. He's like, did I exceed your expectations? And I said, geez, like a hundred X. And he's like, how did I exceed your expectations? And so I went through what else he did that I didn't expect. And he said, great. Well, I only have one request of you. Every time you spend time with somebody else, you need to exceed their expectations. That's the only thing I'm going to ask of you going forward. And so ever since that, I'm making sure that I exceed people's expectations when I spend a minute with them, an hour with them, a day with them. I want to, to pay it forward. And, you know, we shot the video. It came out two weeks later. And then Mike sends me a WhatsApp message, mm-hmm. which I didn't have his cell phone, right? I have his email. Right. And he, he WhatsApped me. And I was on the phone with Dad, and this message pops up that says, Michael Leachin. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, I have to call him back. Michael Leachin just messaged me. <laughs> and, you know, and, and Dad is like, call me back because he said, he's like, how many people in the world can make one phone call and get a meeting with a billionaire? I like, well, you know, I didn't really think about that, Dad. And he says, well, great. How many people can make a phone call, get a meeting with a billionaire, and the billionaire knows who they are? Mm. I was like, oh, wow, that. And he's like, okay, well, why aren't you rich? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, it doesn't work that way. You need the right project at the right time with the right yeah. people. Now I have the right project. It's the right time, and we now need to build a team of the right people. And then we can go and create wealth for a, a whole group of people, the shareholders, the investors, and so on. So, yeah, so Mike literally messages me on WhatsApp. He checks up on me. He wants to know how I'm doing. And this is physically, not even mentally, emotionally. You're hanging in there. You need any help from me. You know, we're doing an interview together. He has some quotes coming out. We're supposed to be on a magazine cover together in December. And, and we have an article with us in there and some quotes from Arbin Hill as well that Mike is willing to do. Uh, we're planning to speak at some events together Love. as well That's next awesome. year. Uh, so he's, he's going, yeah, he... He sent me homework. Like he actually, I get homework from a billionaire. Wow. He sent me his his investing strategy, like a ninety-page presentation, on his investing philosophy. Is not a public document, and he he sent it to me and, and said, "Go and read this." That's awesome. And congratulations. What yeah. do you think you did uh, along your journey that at that moment someone saw in you that potential? What, what do you think the steps were that got so- you there? So, so I actually asked him why. Why is he so supportive? And he said, well, I actually listen. When he presents something, when he tells something, I listen. I retain the information. I try to understand it. I ask questions. And then I go out and learn and then come back. I don't just sit there and expect you to tell me everything. So I'm, I'm a constant learner. And I want to go out and, and meet people and read articles and read books around that topic and become a subject matter expert. That was one. And number two, when I first met Mike with his Portland India Fund, my first question was, how could I help you get some investors in the United States for this? What can I do to help you? And I think it's too often that we want to be takers. We're in front of someone that we think has money, and we immediately want to think, how can I get them to give me some money? And that's not the way we need to think about it. We need to think about what problem do you have that I can help you to solve? And it could be as simple as saying, hey, I could help you with your website or I could help you set up mm-hmm. your own podcast. I could help you with like, it's simple. You'd, ne- you'd be surprised. It might be like, man, I'm having this trouble with my phone and I can't get this app to work. Right? Mm-hmm. But if you, if you offer to help somebody first and to solve their problem, I mean, I have hundreds of entrepreneurs in Jamaica that would get up and say this. Paul Brunson and I were in Jamaica in January and Paul was speaking and he was shocked at 
so many entrepreneurs were saying to him, David spent time at my house, or David spent an hour on the phone with me, or David sent me a reply and gave me feedback on my deck. I'm just giving. I believe that the more that you give into the world is the more you'll eventually receive later. But I feel good yeah. helping people. So I think that's what you have to do. Be willing to learn and then be willing to help. That's great wisdom. I think one of my favorite books, I can't remember the author's name right now, is called The Go-Giver. And yes. all that book, I read that thing about five or six times. And I said, I'm just going to give, give, give. And really, that, that's kind of yeah. how the podcast was born. It's like, we're just going to give as much wisdom to the entire culture as possible. And let's just see what happens. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's, it's been paying back I love it. Know, uh, a thousandfold. That's that's what I want to hear. And I, I, the more of us that talk about that, I think, is the more people realize that it, it's not a finite source that we're giving from, and so we're losing exactly. something. Like it's, there's not a yeah. Like come on, man, trust me, <laughs> it's not finite. Exactly. Uh, so how often are you actually setting foot in Jamaica? I know you're you're headquartered <laughs> in Florida, right? <laughs> yes, we are based in Florida between Orlando and. Miami. So how often are you actually walking? in Jamaica to actually speak with people or people coming to you? How, how does that work? So I, I laugh at that one. So I'm in Jamaica twice a month oh, in most wow. cases. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, our family still owns a house on there. We okay. still own our car. So it's not, I just need to hop on a plane and I, I'm, I'm the guy that's super efficient. So I, I don't have a closet of all the same black shirts like Steve Jobs. I'm not that <laughs> efficient, but but, but actually, I, I tell all my friends, I'm like, man, you flew down and you only have like a little bag. It's like, yes, because I, I, buy, I buy my shirts when they're on yeah. sale, 50% off. I buy two of the same shirts and I leave one in Jamaica, right? That's smart. <laughs> so I, I, do, I, yeah, I have a suit in Jamaica, I have a blazer, I got khaki pants out there, I got my sneakers, I got, yeah, I don't need to fly with everything because I'm there so often. And because I think it's important to spend time on the ground in an economy to see what's happening, right? I'm in Barbados twice a year. We in Jamaica every single month, and that is just to me is important. They see a face. That's how you build relationships. You know, people are messaging me, "Hey, is my birthday you in town?" It's like, actually, yeah, I'm in town. It's, you know, come for drinks. Or David, these guys are in town. We just had a meeting. Come hang out. They can count on seeing me every single month, and I just give them a heads up, and we're there. And and I do a lot of giving back. I was in Jamaica. Three weeks ago, speaking at the Development Bank of Jamaica event around their venture capital program, I had helped with the launching of that program. It was based on a column I wrote in a newspaper in Jamaica. I used to write a, a newspaper column every Sunday for three years. Nice. And so, you know, they had me talk business development organizations that helped to then train the entrepreneurs. And so I did that. And then that night, you know, I spoke at another event. And that's what I do. I did an entrepreneur meetup with 25 people talking about how to start a business, how, you know, what we go through as an entrepreneur, how to get the right mindset. Here are books to read. Here are resources that you can check out. Let me add it to my Google Drive for entrepreneurs. So those are the kind of things I like doing. And then I, I sit on the board of, of two companies. Well, one company and one, and one non-company. Uh, we launched a, a Caribbean School of Data. was launched in the Caribbean, funded by Google's nonprofit arm uh, for the next two years. And it's housed at the University of the West Indies Mona School of Business in Kingston. And I was asked to serve on the board as one of the advisory board members. Uh, we're, we're teaching data literacy to 1,500 marginalized youth between the age of 16 and 24. Awesome. So I have, I have quarterly meetings that I go down to, and I was there for the launch. And then I've just been made chairman of a, a technology company that does digital transformation in Jamaica, some large clients called Ingenuity Technologies. We own 2% and they've set, they've set up a U.S. company now and gotten their first U.S. client. So I sit on the board for that. I get to visit up, meet with the staff, meet with the CEO. Awesome. And then we actually own a film company. Yeah, yeah, man. Thanks. So, and then my brother and I own a film company. What, what had been our original, you know, Caribbean music platform transitioned into a film company in Jamaica that shoots original content and films. They shot my video with, with Michael okay. Leachin and they are working on a, they're working on a script right now. They got some funding. So I check in with the CEO every now and then while I'm in Jamaica and, and we get to go on set for some music videos sometimes. So when you're sitting on uh, the, the first board that you mentioned with the literacy, uh, what yes. is that like as far as uh, being appointed to you know offer your um your knowledge your experience yeah. so how how does that feeling 
different from what you are already doing on a daily basis. So, so for me, the operative word is fun. I have to enjoy yeah. whatever I'm going to put my time into. Otherwise, it's just not worth it. Uh, so, so I'm the youngest one on the board. It's some individuals that I knew from before, but it is fun. They, they asked me to help design the mentorship program. So I wrote the first draft. We're now tweaking it. A 16-week mentorship program. We've had 35 Google staff members of Caribbean descent already volunteer to become mentors for these guys. So helping to design a mentorship program and then become a part of it and get other mentors on board is is exciting to be a part of that because it's no longer just hey here's a check you know a lot of people actually kind of take the check you need to grow you need mentors you need sponsors you need guidance i get to play a part a critical part of the ecosystem and so i love being a part of that we're building out a mentorship program Similarly, within the Jamaica Venture Capital Program, and they've asked me to be on the board, five of us, that we do the train the trainer part. So we're going to train the mentors who then go and mentor other oh, people. That's beautiful. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah, man. I, yeah, so I love doing this. I've been involved down there for now 18 years. I speak to a, there's one class I speak to every year at the, the Caribbean Mass Communications Unit at the University of the West Indies. And once a year, I speak to the class. I've been in it 16 years now. So it's, it's fun to literally have people message me and say, hey, I remember when you spoke to my class. Here's where I am now. Here's what I did. And it's like, okay, good. I, I can see the fruits of giving, mm-hmm. as we said. Uh, and so it's fun to give back. How has, over those 18 years and really over your, your time here on Earth, how has Jamaica changed, good or bad, uh, over that time? Well, I think just like the United States and other countries, there's there's always some good change and some bad mm-hmm. change. I think the the good change for us is that Jamaicans are finally waking up to the power of brand Jamaica. Mm. When we realize how big Sean Paul, Usain right. Bolt, Shaggy, right. Bob Marley, I think when you when you're stuck on the island and you don't leave, you don't realize how recognizable these people are. You know, I, I got to spend three months in Germany last year. And every single German, when I'd open my mouth, oh, you're a Jamaican. Great. And they bring up Bob Marley, Justin Bowles, and weed, <laughs> marijuana, in, in that order. I right? tried to not mention <laughs> weed talking... time on this, on this episode. Hey. <laughs> and we got to talk about that, man. I mean, we've, we've decriminalized marijuana finally. We're looking at creating a cannabis industry. Yeah. Because we, come on, man. Everybody knows Jamaica for uh, weed. So let's true. grow some that's down true. there and let's package that's it. That's true. And let's sell it. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so... So it's fun to see that finally changing where you used to be stigmatized for being involved with marijuana. We're changing that. Jamaica is known for sun, sea, sand, and sex, right? Hostella got her groove back. Let's let's not... Mm -hmm. That's there. there. Well, let's shift it. Yeah, let's shift it now and say, hey, Jamaica is the third largest English-speaking country in the Western Hemisphere. People don't realize that. You know, we're doing these call centers. We have major companies setting their call centers. Somebody was just in Jamaica training the Lyft call center team in Montego Bay. Lyft's call center, some of their call center support wow. is being done in Jamaica. Wow. Yeah, that's the stuff that's just not getting talked about. And then we could move further up the value chain. And, you know, these are majority black and brown people who who have seen people do well that look like them before, but not in, in these non-traditional businesses. I can start a company via the internet and start making money without having to leave the country. So that has been great. We have far more access to mobile phones, far more access to the internet. So those are really good things that have changed. And I'm, I'm glad for that. I think we're getting more environmentally focused. We've had beach erosion. We, the tourists need a beach to swim in, so we need sand. So we need to be a little bit more mindful of how we develop. So we, we're having a shift there. Uh, seeing the government now focus on, on reducing red tape is huge. We've never, I've never seen that. That's great. But we obviously have some negatives. We still need to deal with crime. That, that is an issue. Now that the government has more money, they can invest more into equipping the police better, the justice system better. And that's not enough, though, right? We, we need social intervention. We, we know that locking people up isn't the answer. America has proven that to mm-hmm. all of us. And, and what we need to do is focus on, on giving people opportunity. So that's where I love that we're doing data literacy and computer literacy. We're training them. We're preparing them for jobs of the future rather than jobs on a plantation. So our education reform still isn't there as yet. We're working on that over the next 
five years. And, and that would be my biggest concern that we haven't changed. The, the education system is just like I left it when I finished high school in 1996 in Jamaica. Mm. Man, the, the, we, we had the internet yeah. happened. Yeah. The, the dot-com boom happened. Yeah, you're right. And so with the change of technology, we have to elevate everything that, that is around us. Um, we have to. Yeah, a key thing that I'm noticing is you're an investor, but it's not just about necessarily money. There are actual, you know, real life things that are happening in different sectors and different parts of uh, your world where it's not just about money all the time. I see a lot of people on social media and, you know, they talk about money, money, money. But there's actually real social interactions, a real social uh, component to being an investor. No, they are. And I think to me is where that we, we shifted. I think capitalism used to be about stakeholders, not just shareholders. Right. So so this is a Henry Ford who drastically increases the pay, the salary to his workers so they could afford the products that they right. built which then creates more demand for the product, right? That it, it gets spent throughout the economy. And so somehow, you know, the economist Milton Friedman got people to change and say, no, the duty of a, a corporation is just to make profits. Yeah, but if I can increase my profits by dumping toxic waste in the exactly. river, then you should do it, but then you're killing your exactly. customers. That makes no sense. So I think the whole corporate social responsibility we say ESG, and now we're calling it you know, impact investing, social value mm-hmm. investing. That's what it used to be, and that's what we need to think about, because if, if we can be a part of wealth creation, helping the middle class to create more wealth, they end up spending some of that money. They end up investing some of that money. You know, we say a rising tide lifts all boats, so then let, let me help to be a tide, because as one of my billionaire friends has said to me, it takes cash to care. Mm. So, yeah, it, it takes cash to care. So you need to go and get right. some cash. Right. I like it. I like so, it. Uh, I, I know we skipped over something earlier. And if I don't go back to this, <laughs> I'm going to kick myself. Um, you mentioned that uh, you left Florida and you went to Chicago to work uh, at a hedge fund that was ran by a black man. Am I saying that correctly? Right. Well, so the hedge fund was based in Chicago. Chicago. I would only go up every quarter. I was supposed to launch their East Coast relationships, mainly in Miami. Okay. So I would actually go down to Miami okay. and deal with the Chicago office. But yes, so black-owned hedge and, fund. And that's something. And so, wow, like how groundbreaking was that at the time, or was that just a regular thing? Oh man, it's still okay. groundbreaking. Like, and I'll cut you. So it's left brain capital management, Nolan Langford. I had actually, I'd actually worked on Hillary Clinton's campaign. Mm-hmm. I'd worked on Caribbean American Outreach in South Florida. Nolan and I had been in touch because I was in this database of family office names and private equity investors. And the whole time we would do these dinners when he'd visit Miami, I thought he, he thinks I have a ton of money and I can be an investor in his fund. <laughs> and, you know, come November, we, we, we lose the election as in New York and Nolan messages me and says, hey, you know, don't make any decisions about what to do next. Let's just, let's stay in touch. And I said, I'm taking a month off. So I went to California to my sister-in-law. I had my wife and the kids and we, we spent some time cooling out trying to decide, do I go and take a full-time job in a fund next year, preferably a hedge fund, or do I go and try and launch my own hedge fund? And that's when Nolan came to me right after Christmas and said, we want you to come and work with us. So give us 20 hours a week. Use the other 20 hours to work on your own project. Here's the base. Here's what I need from you. Are you interested? And I started after my birthday in January. And, and I got to spend constant time with Nolan. We're on the phone calls you know, with the portfolio managers, the discussions about how they look at investing, why these companies, why not these companies. We got to meet a lot of wealthy families. But every time Nolan and I would go to a wealth conference, I never forgot we were at the Private Wealth Latin America and Caribbean Conference in Miami in October two years ago. And it's only four of us out of about 100 people that have brown skin mm-hmm. or darker. And it, and it was, it's, we don't get treated any differently. Nobody thought of us as like unicorns or anything. It's like, oh, all right, these guys in the room, let's talk. What's happening? Oh, wow, that's impressive. I like your returns. This is great. But it was just, it was obvious that we were different. Like people knew it. And they actually had a panel about the lack of diversity in, in, in asset management. And the panel had, you know, one old white guy, 
a lady and a black guy to talk about the lack of female representation, the lack of minority representation, and what we could do to change it. And it, it came down to just having people realize that this is actually possible. Yeah. Like, you can get into this. It, it, don't, just because you don't see them as much, you could be a Robert Frederick Smith. But you need to first think that you can do it. Exactly. And you don't need to have a ton of money to start. Firm ropes, make your contacts, build a network, and then you can step out. I love it. What, what is, uh, I know you mentioned earlier about, you know, as you're mentoring, you, you're telling people about some of the books and different programs uh, that they can, you know, uh, uh, acquire knowledge and wisdom. What are some of those books that you would recommend to someone either that are trying to get into financial services or just trying to build themselves to be the best person they can be? What would be some of the, the right. books you would recommend? Well, so, so for me, definitely, I think the first thing is you have to have the right mindset. So you need books around the right mindset. You need to have an abundance mindset, not this scarcity mindset. You need to believe that you can actually do it and you deserve it. And so for me, that's, you know, Simon Sinek, Find Your Why, I think is a really good book to help people to, to change. A lot of us have to change our thinking. We have to change the way we think about money, about wealth, and about going after you know, something, whether it's being an entrepreneur or being inside the company, an entrepreneur. But, so that's, that's number one for me. I really like Guy Kawasaki's book, Enchantment. That book came after Art of the Start. I like what that one. What was Cashflow that? Enchantment. Enchantment. Yeah. So Art of the Start is great, but Enchantment really for me, you know, the whole passion doing what you love. The third book that, that I, I recommend a lot and and really liked uh, for you know, certainly is, is Richard Branson Losing Your Virginity mm-hmm. Losing My yeah. Virginity. I, I think that was a when you can see that someone like Richard Branson went through and overcome so many things, it's like, oh crap. You know what? He's not that right. different from me. He's not that much smarter than me. I, I, maybe I can do this. So that one was a, a really important read for me and helpful. Think and Grow Rich was the first book mom gave me to really change my mm. mindset. Uh, so I like that one. Yeah, that's a great book. Uh, that, yeah, that, that, that's, that's probably the first one I would give to like my kids right. to go and read. You know, the minute they, they, they can read that level and we would discuss it. Think and Grow Rich. Definitely. And then Cashflow Quadrant oh, yes. by Robert Kiyosaki. Yes. Holy... I tell everybody, just skip risk that for that. Cash. And just yeah, go straight I to agree. cash flow quadrant. Yeah. yeah. Just jump straight to that. Because you can, it, it just shows you that I can still actually be an employee. Don't let anybody mm-hmm. hate on you. And still create wealth. Here, just think about it from a quadrant. Where am I going to generate some money from? So I think those are good. Now, once you decide you want to, you know, if it's go out on your own, you need to figure out what you want to do. Well, Michael Leach and Mike says very clear that, you know, first you find a role model. Then you get the recipe, and then you don't change the recipe until you've exceeded the mm. role model. So, so, so Mike is my role model. You know, it used to be Warren Buffett, but you know, Warren Buffett is not uh, a brown kid from right. Jamaica. Michael right. Richard is. So, so I'm, uh, Mike is my role model. You need to figure that out and then read about that person's life. So if you want to become uh, a major media person as a black woman, and you're going to probably pick Oprah Winfrey. And you go read the books about Oprah. You read the books by Oprah. You watch her videos. You learn about her life, her struggles, how she overcame. And now you're getting a recipe. If you want to be a black person that's going to create films, you're probably going to look at mm-hmm. Tyler Perry. That's a really good one, a good role model to have. There's a recipe. Follow it. Don't change it. You do have to make adjustments because you can't just repeat. It's not copy and paste because we now have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat, right? There are things that right. they didn't have. So it's not copy and paste, make adjustments for the time, but you need to figure out what you want to do. So in our case, we, we, we looked at Blackstone and Stephen Schwartzman. Yes, he's a white guy, but you know, Blackstone was a really good model for mm-hmm. what we want to do. And so we looked at that and we read his book, King of Capital, that told the story of how they launched Blackstone. And that's been providing a recipe for us. But that's like, like wealthy people don't hide their secrets. They actually write these mm-hmm. books about them. And they tell all of their struggles and because they actually want to leave a legacy and pass it on. And they want their kids and other people to read it and know that, man, mom and dad didn't just, they weren't born with gold spoons in their mouth. 
They they yeah, struggled. They had to work for it. They had to put the necessary time. Yeah, they, they had to put yeah put in the time, the effort, deal with the nose, fall flat on your face. People laugh at you. Some of them went bankrupt and they came back, and they kept working. And here's what they built. So I think those kinds of books are are really important. And then the the last book I'd recommend on the finance side, like if you're definitely getting into investing, uh, you need to read the Snowball Effect about okay. Warren Buffett. I, I think that's just a, a great book to read about Warren Buffett, his life, his investing approach, strategy. And and then you and you should just read Warren Buffett's annual shareholder mm-hmm. letters, to be honest. Like every single one. And they're sitting on his website for free. Just go on there and yeah. download them. Thank you. Thank you for that. And uh everybody go and read those books. If someone is an accredited investor and they're listening to this podcast. Or if they are an entrepreneur who wants to connect with you in some way, what is that process? How do people reach out to you and connect with you? So I need to give a very simple disclaimer. We are not trying to raise, we're not, we're not on your podcast soliciting money. (laughs) I I have to make that very clear. If somebody does want to reach us, they can go to bloomahocapital.com. And they can email me at david at bluemahocapital.com. That's B-L-U-E-M-A-H-O-E, capital.com. And the, the significance of the name is that the Blue Maho is Jamaica's national tree. It's an it's a extremely sturdy hardwood that lives for a long time, but is also very fast-growing. So, so we want a fast-growing company that's around for the long term. And it allowed us to sneak in that Jamaican you know, name without being blatantly right, right, right. Jamaican. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll have to shout out my wife, Catherine, for helping to design the logo. Shout logic. out, Catherine. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm all over LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. It's extremely mm-hmm. easy to find me, at David Mullings on Twitter. I'm super, super, yeah, I write a lot of threads when I go to events, especially the wealth conference I go to. I, I do threads about what I learn. I post them on Medium. I share them on LinkedIn. I am not trying to keep this information to myself. I want to share all the notes, and I take really good notes. Everybody has said I take really good notes. Yeah, I would love to uh, start going to some of these wealth conferences with you. So please, if you can share. Oh man, I'm 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 bring I'm bringing it to one. So end of January is Miami, two days, and then middle of March is Palm Beach. You you can be my guest, no charge. I'm allowed to bring guests with me. I'd love to have you come to one of these and. And we could set up an interview for you. Have you interviewed some, some of these people there, at least one of them? And, and you'd be shocked at the level of wealth, but how open and down-to-earth these people are. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch, and I'm, I'm ready for those conversations and building long-term connections and friendships. Uh, that's really the key here. Uh, so thank you again, David, for coming on the Black Equity Podcast. You know the door is open. Anytime you want to come back and continue the conversation, maybe there's a new project, maybe there's a, a new adventure that you're working working on you want to tell us about, the doors are always open. All right. Well, my commitment to you, first off, thank you for what you're doing. I think this is important for, for the culture, important for the people. And, and my commitment is that I will get myself and Michael Leach in on here one episode for you. You can sit down and you get to ask the billionaire some questions. Hey, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. I received that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Thank you again for being on. All right, thanks. The more I read about Jamaica and its economy, I keep finding more and more great things. I headed over to nearshoreamericas.com and it reads the following. Unemployment is at all-time low of 7.8%. Taxes have been reduced. Business confidence is high. Inflation and the external Current account deficits are low, and the level of foreign currency reserves is comfortable at about $3.5 billion, the fund said in a report earlier in June this year. This is a huge turnaround for a country that has sought a bailout from international lenders after feeling suffocated under the mountain of debt. Around five years ago, Jamaica's debt has grown to 145% of the size of the economy, with interest payments consuming a large chunk of the government's revenue. Over the past two years, things have improved considerably. Inflation has been tumbled from a staggering 9% to less than 4%. Even the Jamaican dollar has remained stable after decades of depreciation. Lower inflation has pushed down bank interest rates, allowing more businesses to borrow and expand operations. 
We had a really great episode with David Mullings, and I'm glad that we've been exposed to understanding more about Jamaica because now we can open up our eyes and really see this as a great opportunity when that fund is active and ready for retail investors to jump on. Please pay attention to those that ETF that comes out. And as soon as we have more details about that, we'll make sure that we report it here on Black Equity Podcast. Definitely is an eye-opening experience to know that one of the greatest and, and best moving economies in the world is from a place with people who look just like you and I. Thank you for listening to the Black Equity Podcast. Thank you to our guest, David Mullings, today for coming on the show and dropping plenty of gems, plenty of wisdom. Make sure you go back and write down all the great books, all the great thoughts, and all the great tidbits that we learned on this episode. Thank you again, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Black Equity Podcast.